Can you hear me, Paul? Well, I think the, the grace of God to be able to preach after what we've just experienced in the last three quarters of an hour. Continue, Father, to move by your spirit in the deep within us, Lord. Father, we are tired of religion, tired of doing it right, fulfilling expectations we put on ourselves and on others. We thank you that you are our shepherd. Lord, I pray with the soft hearts at the moment, Lord, would you pierce with your word, your gentle, loving and encouraging word, Amen. We're looking this morning at Psalm 23. Well-known psalm, but let's just uh, let's just read this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is Lord. He is the good shepherd. David, despite all his frailties, he was a shepherd, and you can see that he models When you see Jesus, you can see how David was a model, a pre-runner. He was a good shepherd. David was a good shepherd. And we're going to be looking this morning at the life of David and how it ties in with Jesus and how there are practical applications for our lives. Who would say they've heard this preached on probably more than 25 times in their life? Yeah, us stalwart Baptists, we've heard it a few times, haven't we? But there's always something fresh when we come to God's word. He is our shepherd. We will lack no good thing. Some of us came this morning lacking something and already we're starting to receive something. Bit of testimony. I love God, but I kind of feel I've lost my joy through the battling of life. That's why I came forward this morning. Lord, I want to know that joy. I can't make it happen. But you are the good shepherd. You are Lord. Do something by your spirit to enliven me. With the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. So sheep and shepherds. Have you ever noticed the difference between shepherds in the west and shepherds in the east? Notice the difference? We all watch one man and his dog, you know, the with the you've got the sheep and you've got the guy there with his with his you know, come by, come by. And you've got these dogs racing around that side and dogs racing around that side and they are pushing 
the sheep. Now David, because he's a man of anointing, would be on his little chasing around the field. And uh, because what we do in the West is we drive the sheep, we push the sheep, we send them where we want them to go. Whereas in the East, they lead the sheep. Seen those pictures in the, in the East? You've got the shepherd, he's walking, and the sheep are following. Isn't that amazing? You can't build too much theology on that. But isn't it interesting in the West, we're always driven, push, push. Whereas I'm sure God's heart is that we would be, we would be led. What does it say here in verse 2? It said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Has God made you lie down recently? Sometimes God makes us lie down. Maybe through ill health, work frustrations, family struggles, financial challenges. Everything stops. There's nothing we can do but lie down. Stop. Because it's when you're in a place of stopping that you can receive. It's when we are still that we can receive. Even this morning, you know, we just wind the worship down. God speaks and we just receive. You know, we can receive a peace, and God gives a peace that passes all understanding. See, when we're still, we can focus on God. When we're still, we focus on God, not on the issue that's battering our mind. And I very much believe this was a word for someone today, probably for a number of people on reflection of the last half an hour. But in Psalm 46, and it's not a psalm that was written by David, in verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. The actual meaning there is, be still, calm down, stop, take a break. On my version, cease striving and know that I am God. Anyone ever had a good look at a sheep's nose? No? No, not, not recently? You know, you, you walk through the field, you see a sheep, oh, excuse me, I'm just going to grab and have a good look at your nose. Well, if you have a good look at a sheep's nose, you'll see it's designed in a very funny way. And I didn't want to hassle people on the PA desk by getting a picture of a giant sheep's nose. But um, go and have a look in a field and have a look at a sheep. You'll see its nose is designed in a very flat manner. This means that the sheep can only drink from still or slowly, quiet, moving waters. If you take a sheep to where the water's choppy, where it's running very quick, the water will actually get into his nose. He won't be able to breathe. He won't be able to receive that refreshment that the water brings. That's why we need to slow down. That's why we need, like this morning, when God speaks, to receive from the water that he provides. Just drink and receive refreshment from him. Submit to him. Be still. Receive. Challenge you. Give it a go. Because we will trust, because we will receive from a good heavenly father. Verse 3 says this. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores our soul. Can I restore my soul? 
Our survey said, <clears throat> we can't do it. We can't restore our souls. But, but what, what is our soul? What is it? Well, one way of saying it, seeing our soul, it's the immaterial part of man. It's, it's our life. It, it's our essence. It's kind of who makes us who we are. It's a very vital asset. And in your notes, you'll see some scriptures which, which tell you about our soul because with it we can love God. With our soul, we can sin. With our soul, we can prosper. With our soul, we can seek the Lord. We can serve the Lord. We can stir up God's word and obey God. Our soul can commit adultery, can pursue lust. It's a whole issue in itself, the soul. But we cannot purify our own soul. There's only one. There's only one who can make us right with God. Anyone remember his name? Begins with J. Jesus, yeah. Only he can restore our soul. All the battling that goes on within us, only Jesus. The one who was totally God, who became man. Totally God, totally man. Lived a perfect life in a world full of hassle, grief and grottiness. Gave his life, as Emma was reminding us. Gave his life in an appalling way. And yet God raised him from the dead. And now he's ascended with God at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession, even this morning, praying for each one of you, even the one of you that thinks he isn't, because <laughs> he loves you. Only God can supernaturally restore our soul. So when the restrictions come, and they do regularly, maybe stop fighting them. <laughs> maybe lie down. Maybe God is trying to get your attention because he wants to bring us to a place of quiet, to a place of refreshing, to that refreshing stream we've heard so much about. It's almost quite frightening this morning looking at the songs as they came up and thinking, I'm going to talk about that, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to it's just frightening, but also exciting. There is a stream, there is a river that makes the people of God, God glad. And it's there for us. This morning, it's a deep river. It's a river of inexhaustible refreshment from God. His river never runs out. There are wells. I was going to talk about deep, calls to deep. God's already said it. There's something deep within us that wants more of God. And there's a deepness from God. Calling. Oh, receive. It says here that he leads us in paths of righteousness. I believe he leads us, but I believe to be led, you have to make a choice to be led. Something I felt very stirred about over the last few weeks, and maybe it's a, a word certainly carry for myself, and maybe for us as a church, I don't know, in this coming year, it's about choices. We have to make choices. I chose to do that. I choose to think this. I have chosen to go in that direction. My choice is this. My choice was that. And we will live with the consequences of our choices. We will. Oh, yeah, we can blame God. We can blame God. But actually, we live with the consequences of our choices. That's why God calls us to submit to him, to be led by the good shepherd. Because then he will lead us. David was a man who made choices. He made good choices, as we know. 
And as David was pointing out to us last week, he made some very bad choices as well. But the word says this. If you move to the left or the right, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, no, this is the way, walk ye in it. We have to step out. We have to choose to step out. And then God will act. In giving, you give. And then in your God's grace, you receive first. Remember the widow with the oil? Give first the oil. Then God provided. Make right choices. We'll make wrong choices. Made plenty of those. But God can redeem. Do you remember we looked at redemption a couple of years ago? God can redeem those mistakes that we make if we come to him and say, Father, look, I'm sorry. I went my own way on this one. Help me. I'm just messing up so much. Lord, can you make something of this? And God will say, yes, I can. Because of Jesus. Let God tell him about your bad mistakes. Take him, tell him about your bad choices. And let God in his wonder redeem, change those round. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he good? Choose. Here's some, here's some options. Choose to be committed to God's family. Choose to run quickly from criticising others. Choose to serve. Choose to love God. Choose to let him be Lord of your life and say, Jesus, I need you. Remember the biblical principle. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you reject this and go your own way, you will reap. <laughs> if we choose to accept this, Father, I'm going your way, we will reap the blessings and the help when the trouble comes. Verse 4 says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I know this is often used at funerals, so I'm not knocking anything you may have heard at a funeral on this, and don't, don't let that be robbed. But I'd just like to take another little angle on this, because it says it's the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say it's death. It says it's the valley of the shadow of death. And I keep seeing at the front of this hall like a big white sheet. Maybe it's something we could do at Christmas. And uh, behind it, there's all these shadows going on. You know, you used to do the crocodile as kids and you make the, the duck and the Frenchman with the hat with your hands. What's it called? Um, what's the word for it? Shadow puppets or something. It's going to be a nightmare for people listening to the tape, isn't it? But if you imagine, you, you see my shadow, you can tell it's me. And then you see someone coming behind me with a hammer going like that. It would look really bad, wouldn't it? Think, oh, that's terrible. But actually, it's only a shadow. Nothing's happening. We go through the valley of the shadow of death, as David was reminding us. You know, the enemy is a liar and the father of lies. And he's lobbing out a few lies amongst us, you know. Not just about, you know, I know Julian doesn't like me and I know they're upset with me. Not the normal stuff, but there's other stuff too. We have an enemy. But it's a valley. It's a shadow. It's not the truth. The truth is God's word. I love you. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is the truth. God protects us from so much more than we ever know. Isn't that right? Hallelujah. But fear, fear is still a very real thing. 
Fear is very real. Many times in the Bible, God says, do not fear. I don't know how many times it is in the Bible, um, but many, many times God says, do not fear. Now, the reason God says it is because we can. He wouldn't bother saying it if, we could, if it wasn't going to be an issue for us because he loves us. Now, it's a battle for me, okay? That's one of my, that's one of my Achilles heels, if you're allowed to use Roman, <laughs> Greek, Greek myths. Fear, it's very real. It's a battle. And it was a battle in David's life. Even John was covering it the other week in Psalm 34. When he, you know, when he says, God delivers me from all my fears. Why did David say that? Because he had some. And if you read his story, and, and it's just a fantastic story. Read through Samuel 1 and 2. Read through Chronicles. Just see, David had these people that came to him, this, this army of really people that were struggling with life. And they turned into a great army. And they were frightened. They were scared. And David was trying, to, was trying to encourage them. And yet David himself said that he was full of fear. He struggled with fear as well. Maybe it was a result. She said, oh, well, he was dropped on the head as a baby. Well, he was out there with the sheep. And there were robbers. There were wolves. There were bears. There were lions seeking to take the sheep away. And David was out there in the dark, all on his own and in the cold. He knew what fear was. What else? Well, throughout the Bible, we see other people who have issues with fear. Take Abraham, father of the faith. Yes, we know Abraham, great man, father of the faith. What does he do? He was scared the king was going to kill him because his wife was quite pretty. So he says to his wife, tell the king... You're my sister, then he won't kill me. Because he was scared. So what does Abraham's son Isaac do? Exactly the same thing. He says to his wife, when we go into this country, tell the king, you're my sister, because I don't want to get killed. They had a son, two sons, Esau and Jacob. <clears throat> my goodness, Esau was, uh, Jacob was a case, wasn't he? My goodness, what a man. But he was frightened, and he was rightfully frightened because he thought his brother was going to kill him. Gideon, he was afraid. He was afraid of his family, he was afraid of the local community, and he was afraid of the occupying force. What about uh, Peter, great big mouth Peter, the disciple? He was afraid, broken by a servant girl's voice. Fear is a big issue. But despite their fears, listen to me, these people had astonishing encounters with God. Don't discount yourself if fear is an issue in your life. They had phenomenal encounters with God. Jacob had, had lied. He'd stolen a blessing from his brother, which in Eastern terms is a very, very big deal. He hadn't seen his brother for a long time. And he heard that his brother was coming to meet him. Oh, what fun. And we hear this wonderful story about Jacob falling asleep. And do you remember a ladder appeared? Angels were ascending and descending. Interesting they were going up first. But that's one for another day. He has a, and he, 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 he wrestles. You could even say he was wrestling with God because he wanted a blessing. And in the end, he was prevailing. So the angel touched his hip. So he had to limp. So he lost, the, he lost the race. He lost the battle. 
And then he had to walk in his weakness to visit his brother. And it's like those old westerns or Ben-Hur. You can see the smoke and the sand in the distance as his brother and all their forces were coming towards him. And it's a fascinating story that in the end, Jacob had to limp to the very front of the queue. The family members he loved were at the back of the queue and the family members he wasn't so keen on were at the front. And as he walked to the front, you could just imagine the voices. Thanks, Dad, for putting me near the front. Really great, I'm going to die quickly. Appreciate that. He had all of that fear building up in him. Then his brother came towards him and it said his brother fell on him. With a knife? No. With a hug and a kiss. And he said, he said, when I saw you, I thought you were going to kill me, but when I saw you, I saw you as one sees the face of God. Brothers and sisters, I've really tried to work this one through in some very difficult situations over the years where people who I've found have been real enemies. To, to just say, Father, could it be that you're going to use this person to hone me, to reveal my heart? I say this from a, quite a difficult place, you know? That, Father, I believe that even this most difficult person situation that I can see your face because it's all good with God. He is for us and not against us. You see, these men, like Jacob, he had this amazing encounter with God. He's lying there in the desert, head on the stone, sees the ladder, vision of God, wrestles with God. But in the morning, he still had to get up and go out there and face the real world. And that's, that's it, friends, is that we, we need to get through with God and then we still need to choose to step out and face the situation. That's where his grace is enough. Not when we're sitting in our chair with our Bible after two hours having a great time with God, but when you have to get out there in the dirt and the grime of everyday life. That's where we need the presence of God. So we can encounter God face to face, but we still have to go out there and do and face these issues. It's encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) Wish it wasn't like that. Wish it was all nice. Which you could just cuddle Jesus and, you know, cuddle a panda and go and be with him. But we're being trained for a future life where we're going to rule and reign. And God's got to work on me, sort me out. So in verse 4, David goes on to remind himself that God, he says, God, you are with me. See, David was real about real life. He encountered all sorts of grief and hassle and problems, but he kept lifting up his eyes to see who was on the throne. It says, your rod and your staff will comfort me. Again, in the east, uh, the shepherd, when he brought them into the fold in the evening, there would be sort of stones, I don't know, this high or that high, whatever. And so there'd be like half a circle and the shepherd would lie across the front. And um, what would happen is each sheep came past, he'd have his rod and his staff, he'd put his rod on the sheep. And then he would anoint the sheep with oil and start to massage the sheep. And as he massaged the oil into the sheep, all the ticks and all the bugs in the, in the fleece of the sheep would start to be lifted off. Anyone here with young children? Yes, me. Uh, got my, prop, my prompt here. 
Anyone want 20 quid? Hang on. Yeah? I, hear, I see that hand. Sorry, there are only £50 notes in my purse. I don't, is that okay? <laughs> I'm back. Can anyone here, lovely people, tell me what that is? It's a knit comb. Okay. You see, you know the kids come home from school, you know, right, come on, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is deny it and blame everyone else's kids, don't you? Then you comfort yourself with the fact that only clean hair gets it. You know, you go to, in the end... You have to get the stuff, put it on the child's head, and then you get the comb, and you get all these bits out. Sometimes it takes two or three goes, and you get all these bits out, and then you blame everyone else in the school for letting their kids go once you've done it yourself. <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> but it's the, same. it's the same, you see. The shepherd would put the oil on, and he'd massage in, and he would get out the bits. You see... We, we look at the anointing. Someone like me, you think, I think about the anointing, and I think the anointing of God is, is the power of God coming in and people jumping out of wheelchairs or amazing things in the 50s where people would throw their crutches away. And my God, we need that now, don't we? Yes, I want to see that. We want to see that as a church. We want to see the miraculous. We want to see the power break out and people be free. However, another part of the anointing is that God takes each sheep and he pours the oil on us, and he starts taking out the stuff and the bugs. You see, we need Jesus to massage us to get these bugs out that are draining our spiritual energy. The stuff. No point listing it, but you guess for yourself. Jesus, would you anoint me? Yes, to be filled with your spirit. Yes, to pray for the sick, but also to get out these ticks and these bugs that drain your life. Head lice are tiny, but they rule the child's life, don't they? They rule your family's life. I believe, as David said, you know, there is activity of the enemy around. But let's say, Father, anoint us, draw out these ticks and these bugs, which take so much of our energy away. Yes, we want to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit flowing in this church. We want to see other churches in this town grow and become strong and be blessed, and have excellent people added to them. We want, and, and even next week, this guy's coming to help us practically. Lord, I want to see this church 100, 150. It would be wonderful. But part of our responsibility now is to choose to say, yes, bring your rod, put on the oil. Father, just draw out those bits which weaken me so much. What about the staff? The staff with the crook. Now, we've all seen these pictures. The sheep, there's the sheep, wandered off, good old sheep, wandered off on a ledge, nibbling at this really nice plant. The only way the shepherd can get it is to get his crook and uh, hoik it up. Come back here. And I was thinking last night, how many of us have had a hoik from God recently? No, don't go that way. Let me hoik you back, because I love you. Let me stop you going into that dangerous situation. Let me stop you making that very unwise decision. Come out of that relationship. You know? Let God's staff, it's undignified, but the sheep is safe at the end. Maybe 
in the next few days, maybe if, like some of us, you wake up during the night, in those times, just say, Jesus, any ticks, any bits you want to take out? Does your staff need to hoik me back from anything? Am I being led by you? Verse 5 says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You're surrounded by enemies? Feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? Does it feel like it or is it just me? You feel like you're surrounded by enemies. Well, here's the news. You are due to have a table spread right before you by God himself. A table with provision and sustenance only available in the midst of your enemies. You see, God doesn't provide us with a musky old cave and some mouldy bread. It's a table of provision. What's the shadowy valley that we're in today? Ill health, anxiety. Perhaps you've got an uncontrollable bad temper you can't sort out. Fear of the future. You say, well, Julian, it's all very nice, but I've got an insurmountable problem which you know nothing about, which I can't deal with. You're right. I, I can't. Maybe you fear death, but we have one, and his name is Jesus. Sounds trite, sounds simple, but it is simple. It's for the childlike. It's for the weak and foolish like me. His name is Jesus. And I know many people I can even look at now who could come here and could testify. Yes, it sounds silly. I love a man called Jesus, but he's changed my life and I'm different. What does God supply on this table? I believe that he supplies his word because it says, I I will provide you a table in the wilderness. The Bible is absolutely littered with people who were in desperate situations and they cried out to God and they experienced his deliverance and provision. We could do a study of the Old Testament now and, and find dozens and dozens of people who cried out to God when their backs were against the wall and God delivered them. It says here, it says in Psalm 33, 4, it's not in your notes, and it says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Hallelujah. Isn't that worth sticking on the fridge? Next to remember to do kids' head lice. (laughs) The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. So whip out your napkin (laughs) and receive God's provision today. God provides his word. God provides his Holy Spirit. We've seen a demonstration of that already this morning. God provides his refreshment. He provides love through the body in this room. Be encouraged and be strengthened. David wrote another psalm. It's Psalm 54. And here's the context. He wasn't sitting in a field having a vision of Jesus. Bling, bling. Oh God, you're so lovely and life's so easy. No. He was actually being stitched up by a bunch of people who said to Saul, who was after him, David's with us. Come and get him. He was being betrayed David had been fighting God's enemies and now the king was after him because Saul knew that David 
knew that David would become king and he was full of resentment and fear and anger. So he was seeking to kill the very man who was serving him. And in the midst of this, David writes this psalm and it's called a maskil, which is kind of a musical anthem. So rather than David sitting in the, in, in, in the, in the uh, cave and going, you'll never walk alone, instead of that, he had this anthem. And he sang this, he said, Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Strangers are attacking me. Anyone felt that recently? Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. So David says how it is. Okay? He's real man in a real world, in real life. He says it how it is, but then he speaks from faith. And he says, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, Lord, destroy them. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all my troubles And my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. What a man. Here he was being pursued wrongly. Saul was seeking his life. He told God how it was, but he says, I will put my trust in you. God wants to anoint us with oil. (laughs) David was anointed with oil. He knew what it was to be anointed with oil. In fact, he was anointed with oil in front of his father, and his brothers. It was a place of recognition. It was a place of empowerment. And it was a place of release. You go, oh Julian, hallelujah, let me be anointed with oil in. Yeah, but also, it was a place of strife and conflict and jealousy. Because his brothers were not happy that he was anointed ahead of them. Hmm. Come back to that if we have time. Verse 6 says this, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David tells us that that God's goodness followed him. didn't seem like that with all the conflicts and difficulties that, that David had, but God's goodness followed him. The actual meaning of this, it's like a hound pursuing you. So it says follow, it means chasing, pursuing. God wants to chase you and pursue you to bless you and to do you good. He chases you actually like a ravenous dog would chase after an injured rabbit. That's how much God wants to bless us. But we live in a real world. It's all very nice, isn't it? Oh, lovely. God wants to bless us. But uh, how can you say that, Julian? Come on, life is rotten. Just everything's awful. It's so easy. You stand up there saying that. Come on. Stuff's in a mess. Maybe grief is eating you up for something. Health is failing. Family's in a mess. Whatever. How, how, can, I, how can I say that? Well, let me just turn to John Piper and briefly share what he's written on this subject. And it's nearly all scripture, which is great. God never stops doing good to his people. And if an enemy is temporarily given the upper hand, 
we can say straight into the muzzle of the gun, you mean evil against me, but God means it for good. That's Genesis 50 verse 20. Since God is sovereign and has promised not to turn away from doing good to his people, we can know beyond all doubt that in tribulation and distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, we are still more than conquerors through him who loved us. But the promise is greater yet. Not only does God promise not to turn away from doing good, he says, I rejoice in doing them good. The Lord will take delight in prospering you. He does not bless us begrudgingly. There is an, a kind of eagerness about the benevolence of God. He does not wait for us to come to him, but he seeks us out because it is his pleasure to do us good. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show his might in behalf of those whose heart is holy towards him. God is not waiting for us. He is pursuing us. That, in fact, is the literal translation of Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. I wrestle with it. Come on, let's be honest. I grapple with it. I don't feel it. But we have to stand on the truth of God's word. There is nowhere else to turn. We just stand on the truth of God's word. Simples. <laughs> the Bible says, I said this last time I preached as a throwaway remark, and I kind of picked it up when I listened to the tape back. And, and it's really stirred me. And that was, faith pleases God, not results. I sort of said it as a throwaway remark. And I've been thinking about that, and it is faith that pleases God. Now, we have someone in our cell group who is facing all sorts of difficulties and troubles. And nothing seems to be turning around right for them. But they keep trusting God. And faith pleases God. Hallelujah. In the end, this is all going to be wrapped up. And one day, we will understand. But faith pleases God. Stay faithful. Remain faithful to God. Remain faithful to his words. Oh dear. <laughs> In your own time, you might like to look at 1 Peter 5, verses 5 to 11. The whole of chapter 5 talks about, uh, the start of the, ch the, the chapter talks about um, leaders and their shepherding responsibilities. And then it talks about young men. I think that means basically people in the church, about how we can submit to God and uh, how he deals with our anxieties. It's a good little study to do for yourself. But David started as a young shepherd. He, he was learning his trade, and, and one day he was going to become king. So he learned his trade. He was anointed in front of his brothers. And maybe I'll just uh, knock this one through quick. <laughs> but if you look at 1 Samuel 17, it's the story of David and Goliath. We all love the story of David and Goliath. But look at the background. David's father said to him, Son, go and see your brothers who are fighting the Philistines. Take them food. Go and greet the, the, the guys who are leading the army. And David did as his father said. He left his sheep with a keeper. Which is very interesting. That's another word in itself. But he left his sheep in care of someone else. He didn't abandon them. He went and did as his father said. 
He was talking to his brothers, and then Goliath comes out. Do you remember Goliath, nine foot tall? And he comes down and says, Whoa, come on in, come in, have some if you think you're hard enough. And he starts insulting God and insulting God's people. And David is stirred in his spirit. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who does he think he is insulting the army of God? But his brothers didn't go, yeah, you're right. Let's have a prayer meeting. They said, who do you think you are? Who do you leave your few sheep with? You know, who do you think you are? Criticism. It's a tough one. David had the anointing. He had the calling of God. He had the right heart, but he was still criticized. He still had to battle because God was still dealing and honing his heart and his attitude. Criticism is a tough one. Do you remember that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words and names will never hurt me. Absolute rubbish. They hurt. Let me tell you today, there are hundreds of people in this country who are not at church today because of things that were said to them in a church they were in before. Yeah, they're not here. Brothers and sisters, let us be careful what we say in jest, in avoid cynicism, especially in marriage. Let's love one another. Let's say it how it is. Let's have a good laugh. But let's be careful in what we say. Because God spoke and things happened. And when we're praying for someone with a broken arm, we say, Father, I speak healing into that arm. That's the same word as, I think, John, uh, John Fred, I was trying to think of a name that we don't know. But, you know, rather than saying something against someone, we're using the same voice, bitter and sweet water. Let's be careful what we say. When the people of God in Nehemiah 4, have to read it for ourselves because of time, Nehemiah 4, the people of God were building the walls of Jerusalem and the enemy came over and said, even a fox could jump over that. What do you think that is? Look at it. Honestly, you guys are a complete waste of space. Fox could. But eventually, the people of God stayed faithful. They stayed faithful to God's word and they built that wall and the enemy could not get through it. A fox could jump over that. Oh yeah, but God's building something. We may be a small church, but there's no criticism. God is building something here. Maybe a fox could jump over us at the minute, but we're going to build We're going to be faithful. We're going to listen to what God's going to say to us next week. We have leaders who are looking to to develop and grow and be sensitive to the Spirit of God. We've got an exciting few years ahead of us. You ready? That's why I need all the ticks and bugs taken out so I can put more energy into serving the church rather than feeling all upset and hurt by things that have happened in my life. I'm going to leave everything else. Can I encourage you to read John 10 because it tells us so much more about Jesus and his shepherding heart. Let's just pray. Father, I want to thank you that it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And Father, I pray, Lord, your word says that you who start a good work will bring it to completion. And I pray, Father, that the work that you have started this morning will be brought to completion for the glory and praise of our wonderful Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your attention. I think we'll all be welcome with a nice cup of coffee.